Good Saturday morning, everybody. I am sports mental health empowerment coach and licensed couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. Who's that guy? Y'all know who that is. I, you, I think you need to also, oh, well, never mind, you just said it, because we all know what the what the second set of uh, credentials split. behind LMFT mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this fool, y'all know that stands for Sports Mental Health Empowerment Coach. He gonna say, my husband. <laughs> this is simple. Y'all, this house talk pregame. We back. It's cold. It is it, cold in Texas. Do you know where I, do you know where I don't want to be this morning? Buffalo. <laughs> Did you see Buffalo? Oh my God. Yo, it is talking so about cold. winter wonderland. Yeah, it was like, yo, what? And they're supposed to get another, I think, two feet today. They got, I think they got between three and four feet yesterday. They're supposed to get another yep. foot to two feet today. Yep. It was like the North Pole said 33 inches yesterday, another two, three. Like it's like something straight out of the movie today after tomorrow. It's nuts. It's and it's only November. It ain't even Thanksgiving yet. Right. It's so not even Thanksgiving January. yet. My mom, you know, y'all, everybody know I grew up on a farm in, in southern New Jersey. And because my grandfather did, my mom swears by the farmer's almanac. And she sent it to me about it. She did, I'm trying to tell y'all, she lived, breathed, and died a farmer's almanac. People are like, what is that? Look, the, the millennials and the Gen Zs, a farmer too? Farmers? What are those? But my mom swears by the farmer's almanac. And the former's almanac has said <laughs> that y'all about to be straight Antarctica this winter. Like the East Coast is supposed to get beat smooth up. I hope all so. Winter. And one of the things the report said, Ronnie, hold on to your seat. Because you'd be like, Dr. Piss, nah, I didn't say that. I swear to you. Well, look up farmer's almanac online. It said that there's going to be times this winter where y'all hit temperatures of 40 below zero that's how brutal this winter is supposed to be on the east coast Dang. well i mean shoot it's supposed to be uh 19 degrees tomorrow night yeah. and it's crazy it's I, you know here i i hope you know i don't want negative 40 i'm good like you know zero one five i'm cool with that negative 40 that's disrespect that's some old okay look you go outside and and your arm fall off and you know what's crazy? The, cold, the coldest game I ever played in my entire life was the last game I ever played in my entire life. We played Bloomsburg University out in uh, Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I kid you not, at the time of kickoff, it had just finished snowing. Mm-mm. And it was nine degrees at time of kickoff. And I kid you not, it was probably the only time in my entire athletic career where like, see, for my for people who have played, you know, football, especially in the in the brick cold outside, yeah, yeah. you know, the worse that score get, the colder it just seemed to get, and yeah. it seemed like the more they scored, that nine degrees just got colder and right. colder and colder <laughs> and cold. Like, I like the cold weather. Like I love cold weather. No, that was one of the few times where I was like, nah, this 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 is different cold. This is, because they were like, their field is literally on top of a mountain. It's it's beautiful city and beautiful stadium, but it's literally on From a inside. mountain. Look, it's a beautiful city and beautiful stadium if you're looking at that mountain from inside by the fireplace. With, right. With your hot toddy or something. I can't and stand it cold. It makes me I, quite rude and mean. I do not like to be cold. How you liking this? How you liking this time change so far too? Because I, I feel like this time change this year just like had brought had like a side of melatonin with it. Like yeah, it, it's it, I don't know. It always takes me a while to adjust. But this year, as I was saying to you before we we went live, something just feel different in the atmosphere to me. Something feels really really different. My sleep has been disrupted more than it usually is. Like it's just I've just been discombobulated. And my husband keeps saying, babe, it's time change. And I was like, well, the time change has never impacted me like this. And it's just like, you know, and then the winter months, I was saying to uh, one of my aunts who's visiting for the holiday that I've had numerous back surgeries over the years and I'm good in the summertime, man. But as soon as it gets cold, it literally feels like somebody's just punching me in my back and my back has been spazzing all morning and I'm like ah, ah. yeah mm. it's mean cold or my friends don't like the cold 
I mean, I got some, I got some goodies I can send you for that back pain, you know. But that's, you know, that, that's after the show, after the show, after the show is over, we can talk about them <laughs> goodies and whatnot. But look, y'all, we got a phenomenal show lined up for you all today. Yes. It's just me and Doctor Piss rocking with y'all today. But you know, we're gonna make it do what it do. We got a great topic. Our topic of today is called Blueprint for Success, the coach's game plan. We know coaches must effectively establish boundaries and build trust by being clear about the learning and development objectives they set, showing good judgment, being patient, and following through on any promises and agreements they make. But is this enough to win a championship? Mm-hmm. You know, and what other things does it take to really be an effective coach? You know, for so long, people think that, you know, just being a, a, a disciplinarian, a yeller, a screamer, you know, it's my way or the highway, you know, that had its place in, in coaching everything. But we live in a different time and age and everything. And, you know, coaches have to be more mindful of how they approach a team. You know, it's one thing being the coach of an individual, you know, if you're playing an individual sport. But we like to talk about team sports here because we're about we, not me all the time. So yeah. how, did, how does a coach really make a team about we and not me? So we're going to be talking about some of the things and some of the different theories out there and some of the different, you know, strategies that coaches use to develop a really, really good, you know, mm-hmm. chemistry, cohesion, a family, mm-hmm. a unit amongst mm-hmm. their team. And yeah. we'll also talk about some of the things you should not do as a coach. Like uh, because the DUI after a win. I, have, I didn't say I that. Out loud, but I, you know, I couldn't pass on that. And I and, and we ain't. I'm just. I'm not saying names or nothing else. I'm just because I when I, I'm like really, 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 and I get it. We're human. We're fallible. But I'm like, come on, man. Come on, man. Like I need to watch ESPN on Monday to see if that falls under. Come on, man. It, you know, it, 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 sometimes sometimes we see coaches will you know when the team does good and the coach doesn't get recognition, it has to be about the coach. You know, and, you know, coaching, you know, and we'll also see, we also see, you know, in the NBA, there's a a team in the NBA right now who, you know, their coach didn't do what they were supposed to do. And we see now, you know, their star player has been disgruntled about it and everything. He talked about some of the things that he wanted. So we'll get into that as well. Um, So, yeah, we got a great topic lined up for you all today. It's championship was not, well, it's first round of playoffs for division two football. We got two CIAA teams in the division two playoffs uh, this year, actually, and it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's three or four HBCUs total in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. One of them mm-hmm. being the number one seed in division uh, in region two. So a lot he of knows things, that is <laughs> it's not Union. No. Okay, tell me who it is because Benedict. No. Benedict is eleven and zero. No, no, they're, they're not. The, they're the Are number. They? they are the number one seed in region two for the uh, division two playoffs. Uh, Oh. 11 and oh they got a they got a thumper down there in uh benedict wow. they got a thumper down there they have okay. a thumper down there it's gonna be really exciting because union is union is a four seed and fayetteville state who won the ciaa championship i think they're a six mm-hmm. seed so okay. it's gonna be it's gonna be really okay. good football today you know yeah. i'm not rooting for union you know no offense but hey you know the only panther we acknowledge is the black panther all right. I don't know about no Burgundy Panther. I ain't never seen no Burgundy Panther in the wild. I'm not going to be celebrating no Burgundy Panther. But shout out to them for making the playoffs. But I just had to put that in there. Just had to. Just, just had to. But I'm going to stop talking now because Dr. Pitts has a hell of a mental health tip of the week that she wants to share with you all. We're going to kickstart the show the right way. Yeah, man. So, and, I, and I'm going I'm to tease it as I go because, you know, sometimes I write it down and, and then sometimes I just go with however it is in my head. But because we're talking about this blueprint for success, I I really thought that it is just absolutely positively critical to look at the coach through the lens of mental health, right? Because we put at every show, we put a tremendous amount of focus on the the athlete's mental health, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about what that looks like when the coach's bed is crazy. Right or <laughs> mentally stable. So I, I, what I really want to say is that, to your point, Ronnie, about this whole teaming concept, and and what we know to be true is the team just isn't players. The, it's the word team is a holistic word. It's a systemic mm-hmm. word that is representative of the athletes, the trainers, the coaches, and the coaches at every level, 
the owners or, you know, in college, you know, the, the, um, the, the athletic directors, the, the, um, the boosters, it, it's, it's this holistic systemic definition of team that I think that we really need to be cognizant of, but at the helm where athletic play is concerned, it's the coaches. And we can't emphasize enough that in order for a coach to successfully coach, his mental wellness is paramount. He absolutely has to be, have, Ronnie, have you ever heard the expression that if the head is out of sorts, then everything else is out of sorts? Yes. You can have the most efficient team. You can have the most talented team, but if the, the coach is, is, is out of whack, and I'm, and I'm gonna go ahead, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need you to behave yourself, but you know, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm vulnerable and I'm transparent, but there's a point that aligns with my mental health tip. In the Cowboys-Packers game, did you see Aaron Rodgers dig into the coaches behind during that play? He called um, Aaron Rodgers. Which, which, yeah. um, it was, was it when, um, I know, I, I know, he I can't called, remember the scenario. He called a pass play and Rodgers said he should have called a run play, but he dug in his bomb. He, mm. it was, they were like, whoa, what is that? But it's one of those things where that could have gone a whole not, that could have gone like way left. Right. That could have gone way left. But when cooler or what's what's the saying, Ronnie? When cooler, cooler heads, heads prevail. prevail. When cooler heads prevail and people are able to keep themselves regulated. In contrast, you saw my coach throw his headphones moving ground and i'm not saying that he's not stable. That's the first time i've ever seen him show any animation exactly man. so don't get it twisted i'm not saying that my coaches it's i'm not saying that but what i'm saying is there was just this major contrast in behavior right, right. that best that even the most stable person can find themselves in situations and circumstances where they become emotionally dysregulated so here's my tip I think that it's just as important for coaches, Ronnie, to be aware of their triggers and stressors on and out within and outside of the game, because mm -hmm. you're the leader. You know, people always talk about in football, like it's the quarterback, right? Or, mm -hmm. or, you know, in other sports, it's the captain. But in the grand scheme of things, the coach is the parents of the team. And what do kids do? What their parents do? Right. So you, you, you're the, and we just don't hear a lot about it. Coaches are the ultimate leader of the team. So they set the tone. Yeah. The QBs and the captains and whatever the sport is matter. But if the coach or the manager is thrown off, you're going to see it. You are going to see it permeate every aspect of the team culture, which means there's a lot of room here, Ronnie, for there to be mental health awareness around coaching staff as well, because particularly in the NFL campaign, it's, it's the players, it's the players, it's the players, it's the players. I don't, if and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen a single solitary coach featured in any of those campaigns, but their mental health is just as important as the players. Yep if not more important sometimes right so that's my that's my call to action that coaches regardless whether you're a little league coach a high school coach a collegiate coach a professional coach your mental health is just as important as the mental health of your players and if i can just be as bold as to say we want to hear from you don't put the spotlight on just your players don't make it just about the players at the collegiate and professional level we want to hear from coaches what do coaches have to say? Because we've had guests on the show that talked about having mental health struggles in play and that mental health challenge was not supported by their coaches. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Fear was instilled and in, oh, quit being an expletive and get out there and play. So I wanna start hearing from coaches authentically about their perspective regarding the importance of their own mental well-being and also what their true position is 
and care and concern for the mental health of their players. I don't want to hear no show. I don't want no dog and pony show. <clears throat> oh, around mental health from the coach's perspective. That's all I have on. I agree. I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, and, and we see how, you know, the dynamic of, of coaching styles have changed drastically. You know, you go back to what they consider the golden age of football, you know, the, the late 60s, 70s and early 80s and everything. You know, you think about the, the ideal coach back then, you know, very stern, you know, very short worded, you know, just yeah. kind of just me mugging everybody everywhere they go. Right. You know, right. talk to you any kind of way and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Partly that because, you know, people won't get paid like that now, you know, back then, mm -hmm. you know, when you throw money into it, you know, we all would know that when you throw money into it, you know, it's kind of hard to tell somebody what to do when they're making, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of money. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see a lot of times at the professional level it's really hard for a lot of coaches to, you know, tell players what to do when a lot of those players make more than the coaches and everything, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I've always talked about how, like, you know, we, we do emphasize players, mental health and everything, and you know, how mm -hmm. important that is. But we never kind of, like you said, we never really kind of emphasize the importance of coaches having a strong mental health, you know. Mm -hmm. And as much as we see how over the years, you know, players really didn't have a voice to speak out about the challenges and tribulations of what it means to be a student athlete, a professional athlete, yeah. Yeah. coaches kind of get the same thing too, you know. Yeah. You know, the one thing, you know, about a, a college athlete and a coach that's the stark difference is, you know, the responsibilities. Right. You know, when you're right. when you're a collegiate athlete now, now, if you got a kid or, you know, something like that, obviously mm -hmm. you've got responsibilities. Right. But for the majority of a, a roster of football players or any you know collegiate athlete, their real responsibilities are just being a student athlete. And that's it. You know, right. however, that same coach, you know, that that recruited you, brought you there, gave you a scholarship, yeah. offered you walk on yeah. position, whatever the case may be, their career is staked upon your performance. Right. academically and athletically right right and i mean hey i don't know how many people have been around a lot of 18 19 year old boys uh, a group of them but you put a you mix enough of them together you might not always get the best results you might not always get what you need out of them yeah and we see yeah. sometimes when coaches feel that pressure you know that outside mm -hmm. pressure you know mm -hmm. the higher the, you know the bigger the school the bigger the pressure it is for you to perform you mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. uh, imagine somewhere like Alabama or uh, LSU, Notre right. Dame, USC, right. you know, these, Penn State, you know, Penn State, these gigantic schools where it's literally championship or bust. Mm -hmm. you know? And a lot right. of the times when you get to that level, you know, you have the donors of the school. It's not necessarily even the athletic director or the president of the university that's putting real pressure on you. It's right. more so the boosters and the donors, the ones who right. keep the program going, the ones who right. invested millions of dollars right so right they're like hey i keep investing these millions of dollars i mean i need to see some wins i need to see some w's right. behind these behind these m's i'm giving y'all it's like that 10 million dollar house that the boosters bought nick saban he can't lose yeah oh yeah yeah they paid off his whole mortgage like yeah you can't lose bro first of all i need i need to know what type of coaching you level you got to where somebody pay off a 10 million dollar like I need friends like that in my life. Anybody out there listening that wants to befriend me and want to do something nice, nice like that, please be my friend. Like you said, I'm I'm open and receptive. <laughs> I give I give good hugs too. You know, I give great bear I give great bear hugs too. So you know, grateful. <laughs> Anybody, and then look, my mortgage ain't ten million. I'm just saying it ain't even close to ten million. <laughs> it's like less than a percent of ten million out here. <laughs> But, no, you know, I think I think sometimes, you know, when you couple that with, you know, having to be a leader of young men, having to be yeah. that example for young men, while also knowing that I got to put food on the table for my family. And, right. you know, a lot of people, you know, yeah, as student athletes, do we make a lot of sacrifices, you know, season in and off season and stuff mm -hmm. like that? Absolutely. Yeah. But nobody makes sacrifices in a sport like coaches do, you right. know, as athletes. And, then, and nobody but, talks about it. They get beat up and drug emotionally by old 63 Ford pickup trucks. And it's crazy, like, you know, so for those who don't understand how, you know, just at the college level, how, you know, a, a typical week works real quick, and I'm not going to go into extensive detail, but typically at the division one level, mm -hmm. you have 25 hours. Yeah, you have 25 hours a week to do football or sports related activities. Okay. And that includes the game, that includes practice, film studies, study hall. 
mm -hmm. anything like that. You get 25 hours a week. Division and that's NCAA regulated, right? Yep, that's NCAA rules. Like okay. every student athlete who plays at a college program knows that every whatever your off day is during the season, you yeah. get passed around a little paper that says how many hours you logged in that week. And you got to yeah. sign it to sit there and say, yeah, we only did this amount of hours. I know when that sheet used to pass around us because at Division Two and Division Three, you're only allowed 20 hours a week. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of times when they pass that sheet around, we'd be looking like, <laughs> we do way more hours. <laughs> This is what we supposed to be doing. <laughs> so look, you'd be looking like you be like, all this we did all that was 20 hours. Coach. Somehow another coach. Coach. <laughs> if we practice four days a week and then practice be about three hours, that's 12 right there. Study yes. hall two hours every day. That's how that's 10. That's 22 hours. I'm just saying, coach. I'm right. just saying. Math is off. <laughs> Because. I did basic math in college, but I mean, hey, I can't. So, you know, but what people don't understand is that while the athletes are only subjected to um, 20 hours or 25 yeah. hours, the coaches are subjective to 60, 70, 50, 80 hours 60. a week. Look, not seeing their families and nothing else. like that. That's all they do. That's and, all they do know, is work. And, and that's the, and you know, people are always like, you know, the head coach, you know, like the, yeah. he makes the salary, like, you know, head coaches yeah. do pretty well. But when you yeah. get to them, like the coordinators and then the assist, like, right. I know when at Virginia State, our assistant coaches, they might have saw maybe 25, 30,000 a year, if that. Because wow. when I first got to state, we didn't even have a full time staff. We had the head coach, the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, all our assistants were volunteers. Wow, they nice. got a stipend. They got a stipend for the season, and that stipend might have been maybe like five, six thousand dollars for the season, like, and that was it. Wow. But they were still expected to be there before right. we got Travel, there. Everything. Everything. Same expectations, and you know, but you really have to have a passion for it and a love for it because a lot of the times, you know, everybody only sees, you know, the mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday results of when a team comes out there, mm -hmm. but they don't see Sunday through Thursday or Sunday through Friday or Sunday through Saturday for a lot of these players and what it really takes. And also for the coaches, what it really takes to get a team prepared. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think definitely, you know, I would love to see more coaches come out and talk about, um, you know, their mental health and things like that and their challenges. I know a lot of the times, you know, at that level, hey, it's a job. I'm doing my job. I got to do what I got to do. Mm -hmm. But we know with any job, yeah, you have a job description, you have job duties and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But we know when you have a real passion for it, sometimes you, you can't help but go above and beyond. Right. Well, I want to talk in on that because the what you're describing is, and I mean, you would think that it's common sense, but we know common sense is not common knowledge right but what you're describing is this understanding that we have that the process of coaching is more than just playing games and having practices right it's this understanding that the coach the head coach is at the helm of everything right. that's going on and there has to be objectivity and planning like there's so many moving parts that go into being the head coach of a team. And there's so many things that need to be taken into consideration. And in some of the research that I was doing, Ronnie, it was what I'm getting ready to point out is the research identifies it as the word customers, right? But my clinical brain said, and, you, and I want to get your, your different perspectives on this from all three of the, the perspectives that you're bringing, is that Research refers to what I'm about to say as customers, but I think it's triggers. I think that what I'm getting ready to share has the ability to be the, the a major contribution to coaching success or mm -hmm. a coach's Achilles heel. And that is when you take into consideration that head coaches are, it's like, you know, people say the S rolls downhill, right? Mm -hmm. Head coaches are ultimately responsible for the functioning of the team. And in that, there's these multiple relationship dynamics that the coach has to have with what's research calls the customers. So, i.e., the players, 
the players, parents, and others that are interested, especially, you know, at Little League High School and the collegiate level, and truth be told, for real, even at the professional level, because some of their mamas and sisters and moms and some stuff, right? right? Assistant coaches, trainers, school administration, um, sponsors, uh, athletic directors and general managers, school administration, team owners, if you're talking at the professional level, the team's governing bodies, NCAA, um, other athletic and state associations and stuff like that, boosters and athletic clubs, the media, other head coaches from opposing organizations. And guess what? The head coach's immediate family. So not only does the coach have to coach the team, but he that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Ronnie, that's 11 balls that head coaches are having to juggle in the air mm-hmm. be- beyond just coaching the team and running practices. Can you speak to that from those three different perspectives that you're bringing to the table? <clears throat> Absolutely. You know, when we, you know, each coach has their own set of responsibilities, you know, the higher you get, the more responsibilities. And, you know, mm-hmm. not everybody can be a head coach. And I think we see that a lot, you know, at the professional level, we see that play out a lot. Like, you know, there was a big uproar last week when the Indianapolis Colts hired, you know, Jeff Saturday, who was literally just on ESPN earlier that week as a mm-hmm. TV analyst. Now he's the head coach of an NFL franchise. This, hold, a, hold, hold that thought two seconds, Ronnie, because they to that point they were saying it was on – I don't know if it was game day live or whatever it was. And I didn't know that you probably did, but they said in, of all the head coaches that were hired in 2018, the coach of the Titans is the only one that's still remaining. All the rest of them have been fired. Right. You know, because a lot of the time, you know, typically, typically the way the coaching hierarchy is it, it ideally supposed to work mm-hmm. is you basically, you know, you work your way from the bottom all the way up, you know, uh-huh. because with each, with each coaching position, you have an own set of responsibilities. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm just the offensive line coach, mm-hmm. my responsibility is to prepare the offensive line collectively mm-hmm. to go out there and perform. Mm-hmm. If I'm the offensive coordinator, however, my job is to make sure the entire offense mm-hmm. is ready to go out there and perform. Right. So just like, just right then and there, just from, just jumping from one position to the entire, almost like a program manager, mm-hmm. you know, I always tell people think of, you know, Think of like coaches, like, you know, a managerial system in, you know, any retail situation, you know, mm-hmm. you have your assistant coaches, which are your O-line, D-line, linebackers, receivers, mm-hmm. quarterback, you know, each position group coach, that's mm-hmm. kind of like your um, team leads for each department in the store. Right, right. And you get to the, um, the, the, uh, the coordinator, the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of like your managers, you know, your, your yeah. assistant managers. And right. then you have the head coach who is the store manager in a sense, you right. know. And we see that even, you know, from a retail perspective, you know, you got your 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 uh, department leads who make sure hey, the yep. department is straight. You got your assistant managers who like if you have the assistant manager of produce, the assistant manager right. of I don't know, whatever categories they have. <laughs> and there you go. And then you have the <laughs> store manager who not only is his job to manage the store, but he has mm-hmm. to manage, you know, the, the overall payroll. He has to manage, you know, HR. He has to manage mm-hmm. um, logistics. He has to manage, you know, shipping and delivery. He has mm-hmm. to manage all those things. He has to manage, you know, the budget year in right. and year out for the right. uh, store and everything. And it just gets higher and higher. And sometimes what people don't understand is like, you know, if I'm just coaching one room of offensive linemen, I... that's one thing. I'm only managing maybe eight to 12 people. That's it. Mm-hmm. But when you're the head coach, like you said, not only are you responsible for the team, but you're responsible for the logistics of the team, the travel schedule, the itinerary, the the, just the daily schedule of what you're going to do on a day in and day out basis. You know, if you if you're at a college dealing with the athletic director and the president, dealing with boosters, dealing with donors, dealing with the parents, having to go out and do recruiting and stuff like that, all those things. And then when you get to the NFL, it's just even more responsibilities. And a lot of times we see is like you'll have people who maybe coach a position group or just coach one side of the ball and mm-hmm. then they get thrusted into that head coach role. And like you said, a lot of them oftentimes don't make that adjustment because it's one thing to just once again, it's one thing to just manage a group of people or even just mm-hmm. one side of the ball. It's a whole different beast when you have to manage the program, manage a franchise. Right. You know, that is a big difference. 
It, it is. And I think, and, and we've talked about this on previous shows, right? How for you as an athlete, it, when you think about how hostile fans can get and for yeah. real, even, even at the high school, collegiate and professional level media, because because even these high school kids get trashed in the newspaper sometimes like it's awful. It is awful. And that the pressure, the, the yeah. pressure that comes, it's almost like, did, Ronnie, have you ever felt like during, whether in or out of season, like you were governing, like your life was being governed by, like you were living in a fishbowl. Yes. Because of, you I have said, all of these people taking stabs at you and you're an easy mark because you're in the fishbowl of, of the athletic arena. I say this all the time and no disrespect to any of our armed service members, current and veterans, no disrespect mm -hmm. or no, I'm mm -hmm. not trying to compare to you all at all because obviously mm -hmm. being in the military is its own set of things. Yeah, yeah. But if there was something in the civilian world that I can compare to mm -hmm. military life, it would be being a collegiate athlete. Wow. We were micromanaged day in and day. I tell people all the time, like, Mondays were our off days during the season. Off day. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I knew you were going to I swear. I knew. That's just why I looked up because I was like, he can raise that. Off day. Off day. <laughs> and I, I kid you not. First of all, I didn't even know a, a college campus could have this many damn assemblies every single week. Our coach would find the most random ass assembly. Mm -hmm. We would have to go or we would have to go do community service or mm -hmm. we would have to attend an event or like we'd have to attend like a volleyball game mm -hmm. or uh, if the basketball season was already started, we have to go to basketball game. Like they made sure even on our off day, mm -hmm. you still had to do something as a team some yeah. way, shape or form. Yeah. Part of that is, you know, and, and if I'm being honest and, and part of that is because um you know, a lot of my teammates, you know, they needed that structure. They needed that discipline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that college coaches realize is like, what's the best way to keep, you know, 18 to 22 year old men out of trouble is right. to keep them busy. And oh, you by know? the way, you under the magnifying glass while you're keeping them busy. Exactly. I kid mm -hmm. you not. Um, our coach, our coach, um, Coach Scott, when he got to Virginia State going into my junior year, I kid you not, we found this out halfway through the, his first year there, mm -hmm. but he would pay people on campus, just random students. I don't know how much he would pay them, but apparently he was giving them money to sit there and watch us on social media. Wow, Ronnie. We could, we could not figure out for the life of us at first how to help. I never forget it. So... So at Virginia State, we have what we call Big Blue, which is kind of like the football fraternity, you okay. know. And if mm -hmm. you if you went to Virginia State, if you're part of the football team, you all you we all know about the cold night. Mm -hmm. The cold night always took place after the last after the spring game before mm -hmm. the end of the spring semester. Mm -hmm. Every every former Trojan football player knows about the cold night. Like I ain't gonna go into detail, but they know about that cold night. Right, right. So I never forget it. The first spring ball, he's there. We had it all set up. Everything. This is this is as discreet. It even sound know. like the setup is coming. <laughs> it, it's as discreet as the as as the divine nine, or as discreet as they are. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know how discreet the divine nine is with right, you know, what they do. Right, right, right. So it's kind of like that, but not that extreme, right? Okay. And so the night we had it set up our coach used to communicate through us through huddle like he would send out a mass email we would all mm -hmm. get that alert mm -hmm. i kid you not no more than maybe an hour before we were supposed to start we get a mass huddle message and they basically said i don't give a bleep about no cold night don't do it mm -hmm. now we know like this is tight lip like you know we don't this don't get out Somehow it got out. And we were like, bro, how the, did he find this out? Wow. We had a football party um, after a game one year. 
It, we had a big win. It was we. I think we had beat Johnson. It was the first time we beat Johnson. I was going to say y'all beat Boys State. Oh, that was a every that was an every year thing. I can't speak about these new Trojans. I can't speak about them. I can't. I'm four and zero against Bowie, so I can't speak to them. I can't. I don't know what they got going on because <laughs> I wish Bowie would have us. It's a different era. It's a different I era. wish Bowie would have us blown out thirty to nothing in the first quarter. I wish don't I might. Do it. Don't do it. We'd have get the we'd have got the fighting out there. It's been some bulldogs. Been you know. Anyway. <laughs> I'll never forget it. We had a giant party after this game. And, you know, kind of how you set up college parties, you know, just send a text message, hey, we pull up such such crib, invite whoever. Once again. We did flyers, Ronnie. Huh? I, I, I was in college, oh, you know, long, long, long time ago. We we wasn't no text messages. We, oh, we did, I'm, I'm we sorry, did flyers. We did flyers, Ronnie. We did flyers. <laughs> sorry. My bad. No text messages. <laughs> but no, like, we found out like halfway through the season that he was paying just random kids on campus. Don't know how much, but they report back to him and be like, hey, such and such post this on social media or such and such got this going on. We could not figure out how he was figuring this out. One of the trainers ended up telling us like, you know, he walk around campus and just tell people like, do you follow such and such? Was, was giving y'all up for $20. Uh, so, you know, and it's great like, there's a lot of things, you know, like people don't understand, you know, as a college athlete, you really are micromanaged, especially if you're a full ride athlete. If you're on scholarship, like mm-hmm. you, there really is no wiggle room for you to mess up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because your con- your scholarship is only guaranteed for that one season. Mm-hmm. So God forbid you're not performing on the field and you're mm-hmm. not doing good academically and mm-hmm. you're more of a headache than you are a benefit for the team. Right. You'll probably lose your scholarship. You'll probably get kicked off the yeah. team. And I know yeah. some schools it ain't you just get kicked off the football team. You get kicked out of school too. Like there is yeah. no, once you off the football team, you get to roam around campus and you know. No, you, have, you ain't welcome here no more. <laughs> we kind of see, you know, at UVA what happened. Yeah. That was kind of a, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. situation and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you know, it, it's just, coaches really do a lot of things to really make sure that their team minimizes a lot of the distractions during the season and the off season. I want to piggyback on that because, and I, and I met, again, you, you have all these different perspectives that you can add. But one of the things that I'm learning as I continue to do this research and, and prepare to do my sports psychology um, certification is that there's questions that coaches have to ask themselves mm. when they're in that head coaching role. And it's questions such as, how does my, and I'm like, sheesh, this just opened like a can of worms just doing this research, right? It's like, how does my program appear to my stakeholders? Mm. Um, Do my stakeholders see me as competent, prepared, and ready to lead my team successfully? Do I have a plan for communicating with my stakeholders? Have I tailored my message for each of my stakeholders? And do I understand what each of my stakeholders expects of me? And that was that those questions as I was doing this research, Ronnie, were just like knee jerking for me because what immediately came to mind for me was the NFL, Bill Belichick and Andy Reid and how they respond to the media, right? But then from a collegiate perspective, what came to mind, gonna be totally honest, there weren't any HBCUs. And the only one that like really came to mind is, is Coach Prime, right? Because right. He, ain't, he ain't playing. Yeah, <laughs> like, he, let, he let the media know what time it look, is. He, 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 he come and guns blazing, right? But, you know, Coach Prime, um, Nick Saban, um, who, who were some of the other? Yeah, uh, um, uh, James Franklin at Penn State. Yeah. Uh, um, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. Right, right. Um, there's a lot bite, of, and I'm no glad punches, you, they biting no tongues. They, they like, they just. I'm glad you brought up Nick Saban because I pulled up like, if there's anybody who's the epitome of the coach, like the ideal yeah. coach, yeah, Nick Saban. He's the, he's the coach goat. He's the goat. Oh, by far, by far, and yeah. so. I pulled up some of his like most famous quotes that he said at press conferences and stuff like that, because, mm-hmm. and I want to read off these two quotes, because I think to this point that you're about to, that you're talking about, like, you know, mm-hmm. how a coach presents himself to a stakeholder, how he presents himself mm-hmm. to, you know, the people who are buying into this program. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. He has two quotes that I want to read off real quick that I think really summarize the essence of this. Mm -hmm. The first one is, we create a standard for how we want to do things and everybody's got to buy into that standard or you mm -hmm. really can't have any team chemistry. Mm. Mediocre people don't like high achievers and mm. high achievers don't like mediocre people. Mm. Ooh. And I'm so I, I love that quote because we always hear Wait coaches say, you're only as good as your weakest link. And yeah. I'll read it one more time. He says, we create a standard for how we want things, how we want to do things and everybody's got to buy into that standard or you mm -hmm. really can't have any team chemistry. Mediocre people don't like high achievers and mm -hmm. high achievers don't like mediocre people. Mm -hmm. and, and, I've, and I've seen that a lot of times on teams where, you know, when I first got to state, you know, I always tell people like, you know, when you're getting recruited by college coaches, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're nice in a sense, you know, they tell you all the things you want to hear about yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're a great player. We would love to have you on our team. They're, you know, they really, they really kick it up on you. Yeah, yeah. Then you get out on that practice field, it's a completely different person. Right. It's business. Like, hey, bro, this is right. football. Like all that nice, all that nice stuff I told nice you back to me. <laughs> he said that when he was recruited. Like, where he at? He's like the same guy that recruited me. <laughs> all that nice stuff they told you back in December and January before signing day, all that's right. out the window. Right. But you know, when I got when I was a freshman at state, you know, you, you automatically you look to the older players, how they do things, how they respond to the coaches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instantly what I saw was is that how they portrayed themselves wasn't how they how they carried that standard and that's mm -hmm. from the top you know your team will only go where the coaches allow you to go and mm -hmm. so another quote that Nick Saban has and, and this is a, a really recent quote and I think this is really important for our younger listeners to understand this because you know the this gen, this gen z and this you know the back end of the millennials you know I'm old soul, so you know I'm, I'm you know I'm my soul was probably old millennial so I'm a I'm an old head millennial, you know, because these these newer millennials and these Gen Zers, a little bit That's different. But Coach Saban has a quote about that. He says, "We kind of have a younger generation now that doesn't always get told no. They mm. don't always get told this is exactly how you need to do it. So mm. they have this illusion that they have all these choices. But the matter of the fact is, if you want to be good, you really don't have a lot of choices because it takes what it takes." Mm. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, I, a lot of people think that, you know, you have to have this elaborate, delicate, extremely detailed yeah. you know, plan for success. And that's mm -hmm. not really the case. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, you know, when we talk about emotions and behaviors and stuff like that, there's mm -hmm. a stark difference between mm -hmm. being motivated and being mm -hmm. disciplined. Mm -hmm. You know, motivation gets you started. Right, that right. feeling of motivation, that feeling of something being inspiring, encouraging, empowering, right. that feels good when, it, when, you, when you set out a new goal, whether it's to, mm -hmm. you know, be a starter or to get a scholarship to, you know, at a college program or to get mm -hmm. drafted into, you know, whatever pro uh, professional sport you're playing, that mm -hmm. motivation feels good. Yeah. That motivation yeah. might last a day. It might right. last a week. Right. Hell, it might even last a month. Right. But sooner but, or later, like all yeah. feelings, that feeling subsides. And then what are you left with? I always tell people, doing what's necessary isn't always fun. And it's, it's not, not always easy. And, and, and believe it or not, Coach Saban has another quote about, about discipline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, there's, there's two types of discipline. There's mm -hmm. a discipline of success and there's a discipline of disappointment. Mm. And That's if you good. focus more on the discipline of success, you'll never have to experience the discipline of disappointment. That's good. Because once again, I always tell people, and my version of that is there's life is hard, but there's two types of hard. Right. There's a hard of, you know, being down and out, not making it, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, setbacks, childhood trauma, mm -hmm. tribulation, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. There's that hard. And then mm -hmm. there's the hard of make, making it and maintaining it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Choose your hard. Sustainability. Mm -hmm. both options are hard but which mm -hmm. hard would you rather have the heart of success or the heart of heartache right right you know right so the grind choose, to get it or the disappointment of mediocrity absolutely you know and and, and i always tell people you have to choose your heart yeah nothing nothing worth having comes easy say it again i always tell people you know especially in sports you know 
and oftentimes in sports, yeah, and, and you know, and I always see a lot. Is, and social media has really, you know, exacerbated a lot of you know success stories and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, Lionel Messi, world famous soccer player, he has a quote. He said, "It took me twenty years to become an overnight success." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a wow. lot of people, it, a lot of people ignore that twenty years. Mm-hmm. People don't understand, like you don't just get somewhere automatically. Like right. there is a grind, there is a process, there are right. steps you have to take. You right. can't run from the grind. You no. cannot run from hard work. The all. only people, the only people who reach success without hard work are mm-hmm. spoon fed babies. Or I mean, silver spoon, silver spoon babies. That destructive trust fund, trust fund babies. Mm-hmm. Those are the only ones, and, and no knock on trust fund baby because that should be the goal for every parent is to make their baby a trust fund baby. But with the with the idea of you I, have to maintain this, and it is hard to maintain this. And I think a lot of times everything and never had to work for nothing. Exactly. So they don't understand the value of work. Mm-hmm. How many times? How many times? We and we've had this conversation before with kids. How many times we've heard parents yell at their kids, berate mm-hmm. their kids because they don't do chores or they don't listen and stuff like that. And my response always is, is they don't value it because they don't understand the value of hard work and money. You as the parent understand that because you are the one producing these things. Mm -hmm. You know what it took to get that. You know what you had to do at work. You know what the overtime you had to work, the people you had to deal with, the BS you had to deal with to get this money for your kid to have these things. Yeah. It is not on. Go ahead. Because one of the things I'm I'm always just, you know, I'm different. (laughs) But I'm always just amazed when I'm working with my clients. And, and as everybody knows, I don't work with kids anymore. But when I'm working with clients who have children, and one of the things that's bringing them into therapy is their parenting challenges. And I literally have told people, you have to change the structure of your family. Your kids are running you. And, and I don't, you know, I don't fall subject to children. That's against all them rules. And I say all that to say that when Andre was growing up, I practiced the ministry of no. And, and he's, he's blessed, you know, the, the, the only grandchild on, on both sides for six years, the first grandchild on both sides and all of that. So he, he definitely was, as my mom said, he wasn't spoiled, he was loved. He was, he's definitely very, very, very much loved. But I also practiced the ministry of no. And the ministry of no, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is Life is not always going to tell our children yes. And you can overcompensate because you're a single parent and you want your kids to have a better life than you had and all of these things. And all of those are legit. We get that. But at the end of the day, you're setting your child up to fail if you give them what they want all the time. If you never make them work for anything, if you hand them everything just because they want it, you are setting them up to fail because society is going to tell them no. Right. Your coaches are going to tell them no. Mm. People, they are going to experience rejection. They are going to experience, it is what it is. They're going to experience rejection. Everybody is not going to be true to them. So they're going to experience abandonment. They're going to experience all of these situations and circumstances in life where things, quite frankly, are not going to go their way and clinically, what happens is destructive entitlement sets in because mm. you've conditioned them to believe that everything should always be their way and they should get what they want just because they ask for it or demand it. And it just doesn't work that way. So, I, I, Ronnie, I conditioned Andre. By the time he was in high school, he would say, he would say Mom, are you saying no just because you don't have the money or is this one of them times that you say no just because? <laughs> No, bro, this is one of them times that I'm saying no just because. Just, just because mm-hmm. society is going to tell you no sometime. But guess what? At 34 and a half years old, guess who appreciates that now? Because he's gotten some no's. Exactly. He's gotten a bunch of no's throughout mm-hmm. his life's journey at this stage. But he was prepared for those no's because we as his parents and, and his, fa- his grandparents don't tell him no. But we as his parents... I'm just saying, grandparents, dad, I don't know that they've ever told him no a day in his darn life, but mm. his mom and his dad don't have a problem. Boy, no. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it ain't and, you know it, I think, you know, 
I think, you know, from, from the, the vantage point of a coach, you know, mm-hmm. I think you have, as a coach, and, I, and I, I just saw this too, to your point about parents and coaches as well. Um, yeah. University of Miami's head coach came out um, a couple of days ago because apparently mm-hmm. a lot of the, I guess, some of his uh, um, players' parents were complaining, you know, mm-hmm. about various things. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, parents are free to come pick their child up at any point during the season. Say that. Oh, that's good. Call them out. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, Call to, your point, to your point about being told no, I think one of the, I think one of the great advantages of sports, and if you, especially if you get your kids into sports earlier, one of the first life lessons that you can really teach your kid with sports is being able to take direction and directives from another adult that's not your mom or dad. And how important that is. How many times do we see sometimes where parents don't want another parent or another adult to tell their kids something? That's right. You know, and it's just like, and, 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 you know, obviously that transition definitely happened, you know, between, you know, baby boomers and millennials where, you know, back- we got, we grew up in an era where our teacher was, to, oh, she, oh, she acting out, tag her. What? Did you just tell my math teacher that meet me? <laughs> and, you know, you know, granted, like, you know, does corporal punishment always have to be the answer when other adults are, it doesn't have to be the answer but what it does teach you is is that you know yeah your parents will love you protect you care for you and all that yeah but you have to understand that there are other adults and you'll be around other adults who are yeah. not always going to tell you yes we're not always gonna um you know let you have your way exactly <clears throat> i told you that you're playing linebacker but coach, I ain't never played linebacker. We play linebacker today. <laughs> so you know, I think in and I, I, I when I even when I did coaching for a couple of years, one of the things that you know, I always found and I and I always applaud the coaches who can you know handle these situations very well. It's like when you have a parent who feels like their kid isn't you know getting enough playing time or getting a fair mm-hmm. chance and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Do situations like that happen? Yes, I've seen it. I was a victim of not a victim, but. I was perpetuated to where I had my high school head coach who had favoritism and he Mm. didn't really try to hide it. But I think another side to that too, is that, you know, parents also have to be, you know, realistic with their kids too. You know, for me, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to go play college football and stuff like that and and reach Mm -hmm. a, uh, reach a good level of college football. So Mm -hmm. I know what that takes and what it looks like to really get there and actually, you know, do something with it. Mm -hmm. However, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's a lot of things that go into, you know, going to the next level that are not just outside of, well, do you play hard and are mm-hmm. you a great teammate? There's mm-hmm. some things that are not in your control, size, speed, you know, just God-given talent, um, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, that your parents can't instill in you sometimes. Like mm-hmm. your parents can't make you 6'4", 225, or on a 4340, unless mm-hmm. your genetics are just, dis- mm-hmm. you know, predisposed to that. Mm-hmm. Your parents can't make you... Um, be able to memorize a whole defense or offense and you know a matter of days and go out there and, and just do right. good like there are some things that your parents just can't help you with and they right. should find a way to be honest with you because what happens is it leaves the coaches to be honest to the kids right. and a lot of times when coaches are honest with kids you know they get upset they don't like to hear that and then the parent gets all mad you know because right. the parents over there trying to sell a dream to the kid that they know they can't cash in on right right you know it's a scam in a sense you know oh, go ahead no, I was just gonna say I was gonna piggyback on that because my my husband texted me and and told me to mention Shaq, which ties into everything that you're saying. One of the things that he was saying that is that in order to to address this whole destructive entitlement piece and and the expectations that parents have, right, that that can hurt or help their kids. One of the things that Shaq said is that if his kids want a portion of his wealth, and I don't know if any of his six children play sports or not you would think they, they would. majority of them do yeah but but one of the one of the requirements that he has of them that he's not tolerating mediocrity is that they want a portion of his wealth mm-hmm. they have to each bring him at least two degrees mm. ah. how you feel about that <sighs> ronnie to look on your face come on ronnie you just, like, said they, you just said they gotta earn it. Right. I, I like the idea. However, I will say just just some pushback. Okay. Not all degrees are worth it. 
Okay. You know, like, I mean. I'm sure he ain't letting them get away with bringing him a degree in like anthropology and some old nonsense. And I'm not saying anthropology is a nonsense degree. Don't even let me hate them. But I'm just saying, no, 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 just, oh, well, let me go get this degree so I can get daddy's money. I don't think he's going for that. I will, I mean, I will hope not. And I mean, honestly, like, I guess for somebody of stat, you know, Shaq's stature, you know, mm-hmm. critically, you know, claim and stuff mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. you know, a business degree, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah, that'd probably be great. But I mean, mm-hmm. to each his own, you know, cool. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm very, you know, college is not for everybody. And I don't think people right. should be forced to just go to college because, you know, that's what you're well, supposed to do. Well, he's not saying that they have to go to college. He's saying well, yeah. that they want a portion of his wealth. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. And who else? Like Dion kind of, you know, Dion has kind of said the same thing too. You know, if his if his kids want any of his money, they have to have a business, you know. Cool. I'm yeah, I'm fine with that. Like that makes a lot yeah. of sense, you know, because I'm pretty sure he has taught them along the ways how to yeah. be a business person, how to, you know, manage your money and stuff okay. like that. So things like that, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I can definitely get down with that. I don't know. I just when parents talk about, you know, you gotta have two degrees, like. I mean, you know, okay, like this look, folks, ladies and gentlemen, this coming from the man whose dad made him and, and remember the Titans. If you drop the football, you're gonna run a mile. <laughs> if you fumble the football, you're gonna run, run a mile. You're gonna run a mile, and then I'm gonna break my foot off in your time, bro. And then, then you're running you run a mile. Running, <laughs> we're about to run out of time. Time with you fast. I want to change these concepts real quick. I want to share these these con- these theories real quick. Um, and you're not gonna have time to comment on all of them. But look, folks, th- there are there are clinical theories for optimal performance in you know in, in mental health and 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 athletic and sports psychology research has really two key contributors to you know optimal performance theory. It was um, a Hungarian professor, I cannot even begin to pronounce his last name. The first name is Mahali. I got that. I can pronounce Mahali, but that last name has like 15 letters in it and it begins with C-I-K. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not, and I couldn't even find out how to pronounce it. He had a concept called flow state. And then there was a Russian theorist um, who proposed a theory called zone of optimal functioning. But the, the bottom line is the concept of flow entails a state in which there's a perfect match between the perceived demands of an activity and the abilities of the performer. During flow, a performer loses self-consciousness and becomes completely immersed in the task at hand. Ronnie, you talk about that all the time. This engenders a state in which performance is very pleasurable and intrinsically gratifying. Y'all call that getting into your zone. That's when y'all right. get in your zone, right? So to flow as being an, what we call an autotelic experience. The term autotelic is derived from the Greek word auto, which means self, and telos, which means end. Hence, an autotelic experience is one which is an end in itself for intrinsically rewarding. The concept of autotelic experience serves to highlight the need for emphasis on the enjoyment one can derive from participation rather than extrinsic rewards such as medals, trophies and public recognition and you talk about all the time that mm. internal pleasure which and it ties to so many things right you've right. talked on and on and on again again about how sports become you guys identity but mm. that's in, that's intrinsic right so yeah. speak to that real quick um and then i'm gonna just rattle off some techniques that psychologically can we can go over a couple minutes that psychologically are instrumental in helping from a from a, a mental health perspective that are really instrumental in helping you guys to reach and girls to reach optimal performance and you can chime in anyone who's in it we'll wrap up okay I, I think you know one of the uh i mean the marines kind of uh use this terminology embrace the suck Ooh, you know okay and you know um coach, coach saban also has a quote too that says you know i need i need guys who enjoy the process of getting there not just wanting to get there oh that's good that's good and i think that and i think that's the and i think for anybody who wants to be successful whether it's in sports mm-hmm. career life or anything mm-hmm. you know it's not the destination that makes mm-hmm. it worth it it's the mm-hmm. journey to the destination that makes it worthwhile yes, yes, you yes. know 
as you know, it's it's been eight this past um what's today the nineteenth this the, this past fifteenth of November mm-hmm. was eight years since our team won the CIAA championship in twenty fourteen. Nice. And as as magical and as you know great that moment was of winning that championship. Mm-hmm. that process of getting there you know when I think back to the championship I don't always I don't think back to the actual game okay. I think back to the season that we mm-hmm. had to get there mm-hmm. you know starting the season 0-2 mm-hmm. having to win eight straight games and mm-hmm. then a team that we were supposed to play the year before that we didn't get to play because of something that was out of our control right. getting back to that moment and right. being able to you know capitalize on it mm-hmm. you know same thing with just any game day, you know, Friday night, Saturdays and Sunday afternoons yep. are cool, yeah, but it's yeah. the process of the week leading up to it. Right. Right. You know, committing to practice, committing to studying, committing to mm-hmm. the game plan, things like mm-hmm. that. Fall in love with the process, not the destination. That's good. The destination. That's good. Yeah. That's you're going to love that regardless, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. the process you have to fall in love with because it's the process where you not only you learn about yourself, but you learn about the team as well. You learn about, how you all handle adversity, accountability, and success. Wow. You know, that's so good. I think really embrace the suck. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I would say, embrace the suck. Okay. So look, folks, this is what I'm going to do in the, in the instance of time so we can wrap up here in the next couple of minutes. Um, I want to share with you uh, 10 techniques that we believe that will be instrumental in helping players to attain optimal psychological state of mind. But these, these concepts are taught by coaches, right? They're, they're, the, the coach is the person that has the ability to introduce these techniques to the players. So Ronnie, what I want you to do, I'm gonna share all of them, but I want you to pick one or two that, that have resonated with you the most during your entire athletic career explain it a little bit, touch on how it's impacted you, wish folks happy Thanksgiving, and then close us out. Is that all right? That'll work. So the 10 techniques that coaches can teach to help players attain optimal psychological state of mind is centering. Centering is an attentional control technique, which helps to calm athletes and get them focused at critical moments during their sport. Mental rehearsal, that's when you create a mental blueprint for success to really help you enter your zone. You have error parking, which is, and I think that Coach Prime is really good at this, which is when you make a silly mistake or you get frustrated during competitive play and it pulls you off your square and otherwise you you tap out from your zone and you're you're not centered anymore. Then you have losing self-consciousness, which sounds really crazy to me. but it's when you become very distracted by the presence of spectators and your anxiety elevates. So in mm-hmm. essence, you tap out. You, you tap out so that you have like this laser focus on all things performance and you literally become deaf to all of the, the, the white noise, if you will, that's going on around you. You have using keywords. That's the self-affirming voices in your head that you say to, to help you stay in your zone. And you have self-hypnosis, which is sort of like another form. We see a lot of it in the NFL when they show the players coming in with the music and stuff. Like you mm-hmm. just sort of put yourself in this hypnotic state that you don't hear nothing, feel nothing that's going on around you. And then you touched on it, the simulated practices, the pre-event routine, and then embracing the winning feeling and then the power of sound. I know I said a bunch, but which ones, I know you practice all of them, but which ones are your, your go-tos to, for you to be in the zone? I think for me, like definitely um, the one uh, distracting your self-conscious, your, that one, when, yeah. I, when you said that one, the first thing I thought of was there's this clip. Um, I want to say it was a Christmas Day game. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lakers were playing somebody mm-hmm. and the camera had panned over to Chris Rock and he was just talking Kobe Bryant's head off, like yeah. trying to like, you know, just talk to him away. Cause I think Chris Rock was a Knicks fan or something like that. I think it was the Knicks and Lakers. Mm-hmm. And he's just, you know, talking to him, talking to him. And Kobe is just has a dead stare. Wow. Like, I mean, just a dead, like, didn't even acknowledge Chris Rock beside him at all. Like, just had a dead stare. And that's what I think about when you talk about distracting that outside noise. You know, mm-hmm. the fans are there for a reason. You know, all the people, they're there for a reason. But that's not your focus. 
yeah, yeah, you know. So, yeah, it's cool to play in front of, you know, thousands of fans and stuff like that, but that's not your focus. And then also, you know, just being able to really – sports is 90% middle, 10% physical. You know, if you can win the mental battle, your body – once again, where the head goes, the body will follow. Absolutely. So I think if you can do your best to really have a pregame routine, pregame ritual and stuff like that and really put your all into – preparing and really being able to center yourself for that moment those few hours you're out there I think that's really important and you know I, I you know at the end of the day you know for coaches and players you know I think for coaches I think one thing to take away from this show is that you know there is no cookie cutter example for what a coach takes you know everybody has their own leadership styles but at the end of the day there's only a few like coach Saban said there's only a few things to make people successful it's hard work dedication discipline and consistency yeah you know, I think those I think those key attributes right there, if you can get a team of young men and young women to buy into that and buy into the idea of, you know, having consistency, hard work and discipline, mm-hmm. I think you can more times than not be successful, okay. you know, and for the athletes, I think adopting that mindset and being able to buy into your coach's philosophy and trust them. It's tr- at the end of the day, we're talking about trust between coaches and players. And that's yeah. really big. If yeah. players don't trust their coach, you probably won't buy into the program. And if mm. the coach doesn't give players a reason to trust them, they won't buy into it. So yeah. I think having that trust and that dependability and accountability is really big. Mm. Um, so thank you for sharing those 10 tips. I think all I think all 10 of those tips are phenomenal tips and everything. Um, but with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up for today. We hope everybody has a phenomenal Thanksgiving holiday, phenomenal Black Friday. If y'all going out there shopping and whatnot, be safe be prosperous, be bountiful, plentiful, blessful with your families and everything, friends and family, everybody included. And we'll holler at you next Saturday. And warm, yes, and warm. So y'all take care. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to y'all next Saturday. Bye, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.